Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Feelin' Film Podcast. <laughs> I can't do it. That's a terrible Sean Connery impression, and it's not even the right Bond movie, so whatever. Uh, I'm Patch, and with me, ready to share in Martini's Shaken Not Stirred, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Yes, yeah. I am not even going to attempt any accents in this. <laughs> I like their accent. I love British accents, so yes. that's fun. I do, too. I just They're not the only one I'm remotely trying to get better at is my uh <laughs> never mind i'm not even gonna go there okay well this week we are taking a look at the latest and perhaps last film in this franchise known by a three-digit number but we will get into that shortly before we do consider this your official spoiler alert for this edition of feeling film we're doing no time to die the latest bond film and keep in mind there might become there might be some minor spoilers from other bond films in the Craig era. So just keep that in mind as you're listening. Hopefully you've seen this latest iteration. Otherwise you're just in for lots of spoiler fun. So you've been warned. Aaron, this is a, uh, this is a film that I will admit I wasn't crazy excited about. If you had to give me kind of a franchise to love besides fast and furious up through seven, probably the closest to compare with this is Mission Impossible. And the Bond movies have always been hit or miss with me. Interestingly enough, I was really high on Casino Royale. Like I love kind of the restart of James Bond, like the new origin story, fresh, um, just really kind of fantastic. And then when I went to go see Quantum of Solace, it really just seemed like it dropped off a cliff for me. And so much like the Fast and the Furious series, I really just didn't visit it again until later on. And so when No Time to Die came around, I remember talking to you and you had mentioned this idea of, hey, you might want to go through the rest of the movies because this is a film that really concludes this story of James Bond, you know, Daniel Craig's run as James Bond, but also the character, which is very different from the Bond films that we've gotten in the past. Usually you've had a switch over in actors, but we haven't necessarily gotten like arcs. And I think that these five films have done something pretty incredible in terms of creating uh, a little bit of cohesion with this main character. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about how No Time to Die lands the plane, if you will, from this era. I'll go ahead and just say I, I really loved how it ended i really loved the the story of daniel craig i of uh, daniel craig's james bond i love how there's a lot that's set up here early on with casino royale and we see these little threads of his character just kind of peppered throughout the story but at the same time for me no time to die is one of those movies that can stand on its own in terms of being a quintessential action film in the James Bond era. This didn't feel like something that deviated too much. And really, the other films in the franchise didn't either. And I thought that was a pretty remarkable thing from a creative standpoint to not only maintain that bondness, if you will, of 
the character of the stories of the espionage of all the cool stuff that we we get to see but at the same time really have a through line of allowing us to care about James Bond as a person and it starts with Casino Royale goes through the the other three movies and then it finally gets to No Time to Die and I really do think that it's a fitting conclusion to his story to James Bond's story but at the same time I think it adds a lot to the mythology of the character and I think it really creates this whole series this these this five film series has really really kind of retranslated what I love about James Bond. I think it's more expansive, I think it's more complex, but it still maintains that suaveness that hey, he looks great in a suit, hey, he can carry a scene with a Bond girl and all the stuff is there, but these five films have really added to what I have enjoyed about the Bond films. And if I had to go back and say, okay, pick five Bond movies, there's going to be at least two or three from this one, from this series that I would go back to. I'm always going to be a fan of Dr. No, Goldfinger. Those are going to be my standards for my Sean Connery. But as of late, especially after my rewatch of Quantum of Solace, uh, Spectre, and Skyfall, this film really feels like a great punch to finish off this era of Bond. Yeah, so I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I, I think that that's probably my favorite thing about it, honestly, is just how it wraps everything up. It's the Actually, it's the fact that it wraps everything up is more important to me than how it wrapped everything up. I, you know, I could, you could give or take for me whether Bond lives or dies, I think it's fun to, for all, you know, I know it sounds morbid, but I think it's nice to do something different for once and to clearly give him an arc. I mean, he is from start to finish, and that's what you're saying, and I agree with wholeheartedly, is from one movie all the way through, he is continually experiencing character development, that story is growing, it is expanding, and it all comes to a head, and then it wraps up. It's done. And when he steps out, no other Bond has been given this treatment. And I think that is both a strength and maybe a weakness of the Bond series, right? Is that it is different. It's not Mission Impossible where you're getting these new entries, but you're all in service of this longer narrative thread. Fast and the Furious, it's this huge, long narrative thread that goes all the way through, even though you're just getting more and more crazy, bombastic adventures along the way. We didn't have that with the other guys. They were just kind of one-off stories within this world to play in. And so, personally, I like it because we're, and I know why you like it. I mean, it's an emotional story. It's about a guy who has to experience love and loss and then love again, and then loss again, essentially, and and have to deal with these things that Bond has never been challenged with that are super realistic. Like, uh, come on. How in 24 previous movies, I guess, okay, the numbers are off, because who knows when he actually got Madeline pregnant, probably in movie number 24. So in like the previous before the Craig movies, right? In 20 plus movies of sleeping with women all over the place, multiple per film, Bond never got anybody pregnant, never had to deal with having a kid. Are you kidding me? Come on. Like, that's not a normal thing. You know what I mean? And so for him to be challenged with that in this, 
and here's here's where I'm torn, Patrick. And this is why I don't think it is like the best of the best for me. I love this as that culmination. For me, I didn't like it as much as an individual piece of storytelling. The elements that I particularly want in a Bond adventure film, and I mean, we don't have to break these down, right? But like, you need your gadgets and your tech. You need your kind of over-the-top mustache twirling villain. That's a very commonplace. Like, if you had a super realistic and down-to-earth, normal, serious villain, it wouldn't feel like a Bond film. Like, it's one thing that kind of sets it apart, I think. I mean, it sets it so much apart that they spoof it, right? And like Austin Powers and other things. You've got your Bond girls of some varying degree. And so, and you've got your opening set piece. You've got your your song that that is iconic of some artist that's big at the time. And so I liked a lot of those elements in this one, but none of them, the cohesion of them, all of them together were not my favorite by any means. And so I liked it more for the fact that it was wrapping things up. But I do think that it lands the plane or the spy plane, I guess. On the <laughs> island. I think it, it does land it pretty well. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you had to leave open, too, because, I mean, the series is going to continue. And that'll be interesting. And we'll, I guess we'll talk about that part later. But I do wonder how. So I want to talk about this. It, we get this emotional story, right? And. He's got Madeline, who he's in love with. He's already gone through in this series. And so so we actually get to see the same character dealing with love and loss more than once, as I mentioned, because he's loved Vesper Lynn and he's lost her. And now he's got Madeline and he can't he's struggling with trust and with, you know, giving of himself and, and putting himself in that position again. That's a very realistic and, and understandable thing that I, I felt good about seeing that explored. How did you take just their, their, like all the other elements of the story, take them out as much as you can. Like, how do you feel it handled his relationship with her and his learning about having a child and then dealing with that? Well, did you, I think did it feel normal. If I didn't have those previous four films, absolutely not. Because when you get from Casino Royale all the way up to this, we've experienced the Bond who is growing up. And that's the thing that kind of threw me off when I watched Casino Royale for the first time because I thought, oh, this is a continuation. No, it's not. It's essentially a reboot. So in some ways, and I, I need to confirm this, but I don't think any of these movies were Ian Fleming's work. I don't think any of them came from his book. So this is all original content or at least inspired by because if you notice in the in the opening titles, at least in the last three movies, it just shows Ian Fleming's based on Ian Fleming's and this is James Bond. So I think that when you look at how he handles his relationship with Madeline and the news and everything that he's kind of working through, had you not had what I think is probably my favorite in the Craig era in the form of Casino Royale you don't get the weight of how deeply he cared for Vesper. And personally, I cared for Vesper because she's awesome. She's a delightful character played by a wonderful actor. But I think that if you didn't have that next kind of iteration of how he's dealing with that fallout, almost like these five stages of grief, Aaron. I mean, he's working through some of this and going through revenge and 
he's got this great foil in M who's telling him, I've got to be able to trust you. And he's like, yes, mom. And you don't know if you can. And by the end of this franchise, it's Kim who's asking Madeline, I need to know that I can trust you. And so there's this really great through line of a trust theme that sort of bounces from character to character, not all over the place, but it goes from you know him trying to trust Vesper and be feeling betrayed by her. And then eventually it kind of circles back to him wanting to trust Madeline. And so their relationship feels really organic at the beginning of the film because you know what they've been through. And when it gets to this idea of him having a kid, I don't see him as 007 at that point. The film franchise has sort of taken that moniker off of him over the course of four movies. And it's deliberate, obviously, in this fifth, in this fifth film, and so when we get to that moment where he finds out, he feels like a human being, like someone who I wouldn't say could be a father, but who loves this woman enough to want to be a father. Like, I don't see him as a secret agent at that point. I see him as a human being. He's been retired. He's got his, you're never going to get rid of your suaveness. You're never going to get rid of your tech knowledge and your ability to kind of make your your beach house into a, a place where you can, you know, hide guns and whatnot. I mean, that's never going to leave. And I think that that's part of the beauty and the charm of these five films is that they don't go crazy into the tech in these latter films because that's not what the story they're really trying to tell. It's almost as if, Aaron, they're taking the Bond films and using it as a backdrop to tell the story of James. They're telling a 007 story. And, and yes, that's very deliberate but I think it's more deliberate in this last film because at that point, I don't think I would have believed that he would be a father knowing all this stuff prior to that, knowing the Dr. Knows and the Goldfingers, which I think is a, another great decision on the part of the filmmakers to say, let's just start over. Let's tell this kind of self-contained story over the course of 15 or 20 years, which again, the duration of these movies between each one of them really feels like you're walking through the career of James Bond as a secret agent and what life is like after retirement. So to answer your question, I don't know if I have already, but just to kind of reiterate, I think it's believable because you get those first stories, those first films, and because you understand that by the end of the film, he's not trying to gain that moniker back. It's really more of a, of a, a symbolic gesture that he's given, but he's not trying to be the best secret agent he's trying to be the best james bond because that's who he is and i love the fact that throughout the film we don't hear them refer to him as 007 even when he's kind of reinstated as that number he's always bond james bond and i think the suaveness is still there but it's in a more mature way it doesn't feel like a trope and so his relationship with madeline doesn't feel like a trope it doesn't feel like she's the next girl going to get painted with gold dust or with oil or things like that that she genuinely cares about him and he wants to have a life with her that matters and even if he can't get rid of or shake his past he's at least trying to because he wants that future with her absolutely agree and i i agree and i love it all the way that they handled it and i like the approach of him having to kind of freeze in place and understand like this is your child and now how are you going to act differently with that knowledge? And it does change him immediately. And it, and it would, and it should change any human being, any man 
that they went through that experience or woman. And I really like the death simply because if we're going to take this all in the realistic direction, and I want to talk about that here in a second, some another side of that, but if we're going to take it this way, you he doesn't get happily ever after, Patrick. He just doesn't. Like, that's not, you don't earn happily ever after doing what he does. And I think there's actually a line in the movie that states something very similar to that. I can't recall exactly what it was. It's been a couple of weeks since I've seen it. But I feel like there was a, a moment where there was a line of dialogue that said something like, that doesn't exist for us, or, you know, that's not in the cards. <laughs> you know, like, I, it, he can't just hang up the gun and stop when you have spent your life murdering or i guess killing you know bad guys and and making yourself into this hatred target that people will plot against for all of time like you you don't get to just be normal it's part of the choice i think i think maybe felix might have said it actually um rip felix when he was dying something like that that was very sad um, i love jeffrey wright in general and i like the felix lighter character and the idea of Bond having to work with the American CIA and how that relationship plays out. So I've liked that throughout the whole series. So that was sad. But anyway, I like that. And I love that. And I think that that's why him, maybe not the way he dies necessarily, it's, it's pretty melodramatic. And you almost, it's, it's tough, Patrick, it's tough. Because I think you, you want to get across that Bond made the decision. Right. And so he makes his sacrifice, essentially. He's saying, I'm staying here. I'm going to do this thing. P but part of me goes into logic brain. And I say, okay, in 20 plus previous movies, when you've faced life or death situations, you've never just been like, I guess I just got to sacrifice myself. You've always figured it out and done something or try. And, and I, I wondered if I would have reacted differently better maybe even if he would have tried and just failed right like but we don't want that because he's a fantasy he's the guy that has to essentially win like we we know in the movie going in that he's going to come out and be okay and our okay in this movie is the fact that he made the willing choice to sacrifice himself in getting the job done and i've seen some criticisms from people both extremely blunt and kind of gross saying, give me back my toxic masculinity <laughs> in bond, but also people who made an interesting point about the character and how the emotion didn't work for them because that's not what they expect from this series. And so we just talked about how, you know, it is a different differing of the norm and it does kind of put it more in line with the way that modern day series have kind of picked up going. Do we, sh is, I understand, I can get why some people would kind of wish that they just wanted their singular fantasy bond adventure every few years, like a Marvel movie, maybe, you know, I mean, I guess Marvel has a through, th through thread as well that's very emotional, but they just get a new interesting location and gadgets and people to to meet within his world but they don't have to have all of this emotion because that's not bond um and so james craig james craig who's james craig daniel Bauer. craig right he gives us a different bond than we've yeah. ever had before 
Yeah. And and I think that that's why it's going to be very divisive. I think this movie will end the series ultimately because of it now and because of how it ended will be divisive and not everyone who liked Bond before is going to love this version. Whereas yeah. some of us who gravitate towards this kind of character, like probably me and you, that's why I would say this is my favorite Bond hands down now. Mm -hmm. I, I look at this series of films and I'm in that kind of divisive mindset because again, Casino Royale felt like a Bond movie. I mean, you had hot girls, you had a dude who had no shame in how he was acting. The way his chemistry was with Vesper, I thought was just amazing. And I didn't see Dallas as much as coming after it because you have to get through, I think that look, why don't I, and why don't I get my, you know, white suit or my black suit and, you know, crazy tech. Why don't I get this stuff where everything felt kind of muted in terms of how it came across. In fact, when I was watching, I believe it was quantum of solace. I remember texting you and saying, dude, the action in here is just like just all over the place. Like the set piece in the open, every, every scene, every movie seems to have a huge set piece. Quantum of Solace tended to kind of go over the top for me. Whereas, you know, my favorite's going to be Casino Royale because I love the parkour. I think it's really cool. And of course that, that wasn't the opening, but the, the first big action sequence was the, uh, the parkour chase scene, which I thought was fantastic. But what I thought happened over the course of these five movies is that everything seemed to kind of tone down a little bit, not really for the worse, but nothing felt really amplified. And so if you take that toxic masculinity of James Bond, it's all heightened, right? It's all amplified. It's this guy that you know is so full of himself that doesn't exist. He's really a fantasy. So the tech is like Mission Impossible tech in that regard. Or you have... And I'm referring back to kind of the original movies where you have someone like Q who does these really funny things with a shoe, you know, putting a, you know, a microprocessor in a shoe and this tricked out Aston Martin, which I love that we got to see that in this movie. Dude, the car it, in this, that opening sequence I thought was phenomenal. I it's, it's fantastic, right? It is. Well, and it, again, it's, it's a hearkening back to the gadgets in the Aston Martin and, but you mentioned this kind of grounded character and everything else that's what it was. The practical effects that we see in here, nothing felt over the top. I mean, they were big for sure, but nothing felt like fast and furious obnoxious. Nothing felt mission impossible crazy. It really felt muted, but it felt muted in a way that helped us kind of say, okay, this bond could actually exist in our world. Now, could the plot devices and the stories? Maybe not. Maybe so. I don't know. I was talking to somebody this morning about how uh, Skynet might be existing in a few years, and, and that seems like a real possibility. So it it doesn't necessarily. I mean, yes, there is some realism, but I think that's where the film is is landing itself. Is like we want to create a realistic approach to this, and I think that's why I love the way that he chose to give himself up. Because Aaron, the consistency for me is that he made the choice, that he was in charge. Had he been killed by uh, by Lucifer, Lucifer. I can't pronounce his name. Why did you give Lucifer? Him that name? What? Who the frick is Lucifer? What Lucifer? is it? <laughs> Lucifer? Saffin? Random the devil? Character. Like, yeah, how did you get Lucifer? <laughs> I'm looking at the light Lucifer. 
Is that how you? Oh, pronounce his it? first name. He has a first name. Yes, it's Lucifer. I'm gonna just call him Saffin. Oh, I just call him okay. Lucifer. He's the devil. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> so, had he been killed by the bad guy, we would not have bought that because he never gets beaten by the bad guy. And I think this is what makes his death consistent: is that he was the one who made the choice. He was in charge. It was never at the hands of anything else. Now, granted, you could argue, well, he had the stuff in his system. But yeah, he could have gotten out and he could have lived the rest of his life apart from Madeline and his child. And that wouldn't have been a great ending either. And so for me, I was satisfied with that because it wasn't inconsistent to the Bond character. It was maybe inconsistent with the toxic masculine character that we've gotten to know and love in the forms of Roger Moore and Sean Connery and the like. But again, these five films didn't set up that. They don't tell that story. And so the story that they're telling is entirely consistent. And at that point, it's just about, are you a fan of that Bond? Or are you a fan of the other Bond? And I'm a fan of both for different reasons. And so I can pop in Dr. No and love that. And then I can pop in Casino Royale and smile just as big. I'm with you. I'm with you there. And, and I agree. And that's where I think, yeah. You're just going to have different pieces of this fandom. It, it's very similar to Fast and Furious. You and I love the original two or three movies and the grounded nature of those stories before it got completely bombastic. We still, to some extent, gradually lessening as it goes, but we still ex enjoy the new version of them because there's elements of it that we have grown to love and we always will. And so it's kind of like that in reverse for me with Bond. Like I... The new is my, the best. Like for me, it's like, this is what I would love for it always to be like, but I can still appreciate some of that older stuff, even with the elements that I don't particularly love because I like pieces of them so much, but there's something about Bond that always keeps him. Like I went through all the films about two years ago, leading up to the first time, no time for die, no time to die was supposed to come out. And then pandemic and it got delayed and all that. And so I've been through back the filmography and I don't have a five-star movie in this group for me. Like I, there's, they're all come up a little bit short somewhere, something about them. There is some element in each one. It can be a different element that never gives me quite that perfect action spy experience that a couple of Fast and the Furious slash Mission Impossible movies have been able to do. Bourne has been able to do that for me. Certain others have. What one thing that's interesting, I, I, I think is, you know, if Bond, you you just said if earlier, if Bond or to the realism, you were like, I don't know, maybe this could actually be happening somewhere, and we just don't know it. The truth is that if Bond is doing his, if Bond does exist, and Bond is doing his job then we don't know. And that's the point. Like, we wouldn't be privy to this information ever. I mean, why would we, right? That's why it's clandestine. That's why these secret ops exist. I do want to talk about Bond Girls. And I, I use that term in air quotes right now because I think this movie does that very differently than what you would... Can, what, I don't think it's fair, frankly. I think we should probably stop using the term and calling them Bond girls when referring to them in this movie because they're not Bond girls. They're not even close to Bond girls. Bond girl is a very specific character trope that existed in many of the older films. That's not what these are, as we pointed out how different this, the whole structure is. 
but I want to talk about the characters, some of them which are female, um, who you liked, who you didn't, if anybody. And also, did you have any like gadgets that stuck out? I mean, we talked about the car. So I think we both obviously loved the car and the opening sequence, getting the car that could shoot, do the gas, you know, all these different things. And I think that they use the car in a really cool way. It wasn't just like there was emotional stuff happening. That's that's what made this so good to me, right? Is it's not just showing off the car in an action set piece to show off the tech, right? That's one way, you know, we want it, but they did it in a way that is emotional. He's sitting in there getting shot up to pieces, like unwilling to do anything because he's completely devastated and feels at that moment like he's been betrayed. And he's ready to kill, he's ready to die. Like he's ready to just let them both get killed at that point, right? You get the sense that eventually those bulletproof windows are gonna break. I mean, when, what's his face? One eye comes up closer and closer and closer and it's just pop, pop, popping. I love that shot. The movie's gorgeous, by the way, I should say. Linus Sangren shot this and it doesn't matter if it's Deacons or Sangren or whoever, this whole run of new films have looked phenomenal. Like screenshot it. Yeah, I'm going to co-sign that. That's the one thing, one of the big things that stood out to me rewatching these is like they are beautifully shot. I mean, it looks like a travelogue. I'm like, I want to visit every place uh, with with or without an Aston Martin that's bulletproof. I just, I want to visit these places because they're absolutely gorgeous. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Well, it it looks really cool too. Like when, you know, you see the glass like puncturing closer and closer to fully breaking and it's like pushing in with that pressure of, oh, it just, I love that whole scene. So you know, that was a standout for both of us. But is there anything else that, like, you really remember as being really cool moments? I think for me, this is really more related to the character of Q. It was really great to see his introduction uh, a couple of movies prior. And again, Casino Royale sets up the whole shaken not stirred with the martini and how we expect when he when Bond gets the martinis, like, would you like it shaken or stirred? And he goes, I don't care. You know, just give me the bloody drink. Because <laughs> we want him to say, you know, shaken, not stirred, whatever. And with Q, his introduction is just as charming because he makes the comment at the end after he gives Bond uh, a gun with, and I know this isn't part of No Time to Die, but this is leading up to it, that, you know, he gives him a gun that's got a got a sensor that's, that's, uh, synced up to his handprint so nobody else can shoot the gun except him and then he's got this little you know microphone and he goes is this all there is you know is you know i was hoping to get something like christmas presents or whatever and q goes well what did you expect an exploding pen because that's the kind of tech we're used to right and so in this one i think for me seeing q used in a way where he is more of a, a hacker as opposed to a gadget maker was really kind of cool and the fact that even Q has this kind of slight emotional connection to Bond where he wants, I love, love, love the moment where Bond wants to talk to Matilde and, and Q's like, yes, absolutely. I'm so sorry. And it's, you feel like this vulnerability with him. Like he just wants to make sure he knows what's coming. And at the same time, he he just doesn't know what to do. And so the best thing he can do is just patch him in. So I think for me, the car obviously is the big standout. I didn't really have any other kind of gadgetry necessarily. 
But for for me, the the characters and the evolution of these characters that we've become familiar with, if we're if we're fans of the franchise, Felix Leiter, as you mentioned, absolutely stands out to me. I think Jeffrey Wright is amazing in this. And if you're not familiar with the series, one of the kind of inside jokes that the series does is Felix Leiter changes actors every movie. And I think I don't know if at one point it's a it's a woman or anything. I haven't seen a movie that does that. I haven't seen all the movies either. But I love the fact that we get Jeffrey Wright the entire time. And as Bond has grown and aged, so has Jeffrey Wright's character, Felix Leiter. And I think that his death, as you mentioned earlier, is incredibly significant because he calls him a brother. And that harkens back to Casino Royale, where Felix says, I'm your brother from across the sea, essentially. You know, I'm I'm a brother from Langley. And what starts out as, oh, cool, they got Felix Leiter in here. They got Money Penny. These are evolved characters that take their cues from, no pun intended, from previous iterations, but they feel more matured. And I think that's really, really great because it's consistent with James Bond. None of these characters feel like tropes. They all feel like a family of connected people, like they all genuinely care about one another. Uh, the conversation between between Bond and Leiter in the bar where Leiter's trying to convince him to come to Cuba with him, and they're they're knocking on ash and saying, you know, this guy smiles too much. And yeah, I was just, he was just kind of assigned to me and, and whatever. You can tell there's this like camaraderie, this brotherliness. And I think that when you have these characters that evolve with the main character, it really brings them to a place of when something happens to them, it really does feel like there's a gut punch. I, I mean, I was genuinely sad when Felix died. I'm like, no, 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 nobody else needs to die. There's no time to die, okay? That's what this movie is. And I think that Felix's death really helps set up for me in an, as an audience the fact that, oh, are we going to lose James Bond? Is, is, could that really happen? No, that can't happen. And, you know, it, it kind of came as a, not really a shock, but it was like, wow, I, I didn't think it could, but it did. And I don't think that would have been as effective if everybody else survived except him. I actually reacted similar to the Felix death as I did James because I had an it's it's weird. We're talking about how awesome this is, like start to finish, very blocked, you know, it's it's a story with the beginning and an end. It's not really connected. But yet, because of my history with 20 plus James Bond movies, the death hits harder in this than if it was just five movies of Daniel Craig. It's because it's more, it, it's important or it, it's a death on an individual movie basis. It's a death on a story arc basis. And then it's a death on a legend mythology basis. And Felix hit me the same way. I wasn't, I wasn't just mourning Jeffrey Wright. I was mourning every Felix Leiter that I've seen in a James Bond movie and thought was a blast, you know, over the course of three decades or however many it's been. So that was really interesting to me how I just naturally had that sort of kind of reaction to it. So I agree with that. And then what about the new characters? So we had, so we have two big, well, we have three. We'll talk about all three. 
We'll save Logan Nash. We'll talk about him when we talk about villains. We're going to save all the villains. We'll do them next. So we have Nomi, played by Lashana Lynch, a.k.a. also 007. Some of the funniest dialogue in the movie, in my opinion, was their interactions about the name 007 and them going back and forth, like, joking with each other and how take no crap she was. Like, she, I think she very much belonged. She felt like a natural part of the agency to me, and I loved the balancing act they played between an agent who called in for backup, and then she even told him, he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm doing it the way it's supposed to be done. <laughs> like, this is the rule. I ask permission, and I either get it yes. or I don't, right? right. And he's like, uh, no. <laughs> That's not how we do things. So I loved watching them play against each other. I thought it was really well done. Um, I thought she was great. I could absolutely see her carrying a role in a franchise of this nature. Like if they expand this into a universe or TV or more movies or whatever, I don't care about who we'll talk about who plays 007 or whatever. I don't, I think she makes a good spy who works for MI6 and I would watch more of her as a spy who watches MI6. You know, that's what I thought of her character. Yeah. And we get Paloma, who is Anna Armas, which I have to tell you is both maybe my favorite and least favorite combined, but equally part of the movie. It is my favorite because I think that 10 minutes of the film, she is, I mean, no surprise if you have been watching Anna Armas for years, like we love her and she's incredible in everything she does, no matter how different the role type is. And once again, she just owns it she steals the screen completely like she is a hundred percent captivating your attention is on her she is amazing like it is so much fun to watch her kick butt and be gorgeous and witty and charming and hilarious and sort of silly and just all of these things wrapped up in one simultaneously i then spent the rest of the movie wondering when she was going to show back up and I kept thinking, okay, she's coming. Okay, here she comes. Okay, she's got to show up here. And she never did. That was then a bummer because you gave me this awesome thing for this little bitty period of time and then took it away for the rest of the long part of the movie. And I didn't like that. And then I also, it didn't necessarily make a lot of sense. Like she, we didn't get any sort of character development with her really. Like she jokes about not, having any skills or being able to do things part of that doesn't ultimately bother me i guess because she's just indicative of another secret agent with a secret identity who is not going to be honest about who they are and what they can do but she's there to play a role because felix is her partner and this is her role and she plays it expertly and so i don't mind it ultimately but i i would have i just wanted more of her patrick like i thought she was so incredible and I just, I couldn't understand why we didn't have more. Like we sold her so strongly in the trailers and then 10 minutes out of two hours and 45 minutes. That's it. That's the benefit of a good trailer, man. I mean, what I saw in the action set pieces was the first 10 minutes of the film, right? With the, with the, with the motorcycle. I didn't see anything with the Aston Martin. And so to me, that's a great trailer. That's a different conversation for another day. But I would agree with both of those points. I think Nomi is fantastic. It's almost as if you have a brotherly sisterly relationship where you have like the firstborn and the secondborn 
first born, not to be confused with Jason Bourne. Great way Bond to put movie. it. Yeah, right. Sorry, I'm getting <laughs> punny all over the place. We have a bond with this movie. Anyway, I'm going to stop now. But you have like, you know, the first born and the second born trying to please their parents. And the first born's like the rebel. And the second born's like, I'm going to play by the rules. And it's such a great contrast, right? Because you love both of them. You love how they play by the rules. You love how how she plays by the rules. You love how he breaks the rules. And there were times, I admit, there were times when it felt a, it got a little too hokey for me. Like when they're in this conversation and I think it's, you know, M tells everybody that Bond's been reinstated and she goes, so what number is he? And we know that there's there's funny tension there. And then there's a dialogue and then she goes, so what number is he? And I'm like, okay, that don't play that. That joke is played a little too much. You know, that to me, that was a little push. And in the same way, I agree with you. When we, when we see Paloma, it's like, this feels like classic bond, you know, the beautiful, capable woman who just really does kick butt and we never see her again. It was, I almost felt like it was James Bond eye candy, not just because she's beautiful, but because this is what a typical bond movie would have. Those great 10 minute sequences of just fun action. And it felt a little out of place because she didn't make a way back. But as you mentioned, Aaron, that's exactly what spies do. They connect with other spies who are living their own lives and doing their own thing. They're not all looking for the same guy. I mean, if we think about espionage and the whole idea about that genre, there's crime going on everywhere. There's different organizations going after sometimes the same person, sometimes different people. And I think in some ways, this captured a bit of like, oh, this is what happens when multiple agents cross paths and they're going after the same person at a specific point in time. And so watching them play off each other, watching them kind of play together and then having her say, this is where I have to stop. This is where I leave you guys. And then the, the movie moves on. It's almost as if we're getting a perspective that if we were to go back and watch a short film, we'd watch her perspective all the way up to when she and James do their thing. And then we see kind of how her story con uh, continues. So it's kind of interesting. I actually thought about that. I was like, well, what's she going to do now? After the movie was over, I had that same thought, man, I wish we would have seen more of her, but I was a spinoff movie. That's what she that's, that's and the movie that's and the I'm movie saying. starts with her leaving, you know, with Daniel, with James Bond leaving and her doing her thing. Like, what a great movie that would be, right? And then the next scene is her like in the cafe looking down at a newspaper that says, you know, <laughs> secret agent killed in in unknown offshore explosion. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, there's so many great ways to spin off this franchise now with these characters. That's what I think one of the strengths of this last film is, is that it really does open up that can to say, what can we do? It doesn't have to, but it can. And I think, but I think all these characters, these new ones are just so great for the franchise because when you lose characters like Felix Leiter, like Bond, you've got to fill in the gaps if you want to retain the mythology of the Bond verse. It can be without James Bond. I, I really believe it can. Movies like this, I think, allow that to happen. And you wouldn't get that if characters like Nomi or Paloma really did uh, really didn't exist or really didn't have some kind of uh, interaction or some kind of importance to the story if they were just set pieces if they were just side characters that were there for laughs we would have been kind of done and like okay well we'll just kind of play out this 
this whole scenario after this movie in our heads and just kind of hope for the best. But yeah, I, I really did. I love these new characters. Yeah, me too. Should we talk okay. about villains? <laughs> yeah, we can talk about the villains. <laughs> this is probably where the movie derailed a little bit for me. I will say this. I think Rami Malek is great as an actor. I loved him in Mr. Robot. I thought he was pretty fantastic in Bohemian Rhapsody. I think his character probably <laughs> felt the most consistent in the Bond verse in terms of being the mustache twirling guy. At the same time, I felt like he was a means to an end. And part of that, Aaron, is the fact that I didn't get a lot of time with him. I thought the opening scene where we kind of get introduced to him, where he's shooting up the the house and and he he saves uh, saves Madeline. I thought that was great. Didn't feel like it paid itself off for me. I don't feel like that connection that he had or attempted to have with her really was elevated beyond just that, where he just felt kind of like a stalker. I also just, we joked about this earlier, his name is really confusing. If you're going to have a film with characters like this, if you're going to have that many characters, you can't throw in, when you got like M, Q, Nomi, Moneypenny, and then you got Lucifer Safin. No, no, you can't do that. Because now I'm distracted by like, wait, who is this guy? And, and what does he want? I wasn't believing his motivation because I don't know that he had one. I think he was just out to be a jerk. I think it, he kind of reminded me a little bit of like Joker light and that he just wanted to watch the world burn. I didn't get his motivation. What I got was he was a way to get James and the crew in to get to that end. And I felt like he was probably the weakest of these guys. Ash for me, I think felt a little bit the same. I I felt like he was kind of, I don't know. He's kind of like a, like a sidekick that kind of eh, did these guys. I just felt like these were phoned in and I felt like with the emphasis on bond and his story, it seemed like the writers were like, okay, we've got to fill in these gaps with a villain. Okay. What can we do? Okay. Let's do this. And we also need a way to get to that villain. How do we do that? And that's where I think Safin and, and Ash come in is they just kind of get bond to point B. And for me, I, I don't know what could have made it better. Honestly. Um, again, I felt like there was consistency in terms of these are the kinds of villains that you get in a bond movie. But when you're trying to tell a story like you are, they're not believable to me at all. I didn't like them. And they kept this from being the five-star movie that I wanted it to be. I, this is, this was the closest, not the closest, probably. I don't want to say that because somebody will come at me on freaking social media and be like, well, you gave this four stars and said it was amazing. Anyway, point is that was the thing that held it back for me as well. And that is all of them combined. So it wasn't, if it was just one, of the say three villains in the film, I probably would have, you know, been able to let that go to some extent. But you have this character of Safin, who is introduced in a really great scene, as you pointed out. But ultimately, it's just another trope of somebody whose parents got killed by the guy that kills people's parents 
and now they're out for revenge. And so it didn't feel, I guess, up to up to par with the the longer narrative that was going on and the emotional storytelling that was taking place. It just didn't feel to me. It was just out there too too far to like match up with the kind of grounded nature of now he's in love and he has to deal with having this daughter. So it just didn't quite hit the beat for me as a story point. And then again, like you're right. So Rami Malek is amazing. He is a phenomenal actor. There is a reason he is lauded. He's an Oscar winner now. It's not because he's bad, but like he gets this role and then you don't use him. You take this actor and you make him the most uncharismatic person that he's ever maybe been. And it is so mind-bogglingly dull and uninteresting and not scary, really. And just, he's he's almost like a spoiled brat. And I guess maybe that's probably part of the point. You know, he's got these issues, but he just didn't come across nearly as menacing as I wanted him to come across. And it, for the threat level that he was supposedly bringing with him, it just never felt quite that. You know, he does have some, I will say, of the over-the-top nature of like, kind of the out there loony bond. Like I'm just going to kill the world with these weird poison missiles. And I have that's this. Con- yeah. And that's consistent. Right. But at yeah, this, I, this late in the game, you can't do that. Casino Royale, yeah, that can't. would have worked, but it won't work here. That's my point. Yes. Agreed. And, and he had this garden, right? It's like his whole Island is like poisonous plants and water. And, and we don't really get to explore. That's fascinating to me. Like, I want to know what, give me more about this guy. Like, why is he the way he is? What is like, but not just, oh, his parents grew plants, but like, what, why would you do that? What is your end game? You know, I, I needed more from him as a villain and, and I didn't get it because we were doing so much with this movie in two hours and 45 minutes, nonetheless, but it was still so much being packed into it. Then you had Logan Ash, who I actually fairly enjoyed as far as I think he, he didn't overstay his welcome, thankfully, because you had, you actually had Logan Ash and then you had one eye. I don't remember his name. But those were kind of the lackeys. And I liked both of them for what where they were in the film. Their approaches, their appearances, I thought played out fairly well. You know, Ash being this essentially double agent who ends up taking out Felix, um, you know, gives Bond a reason to go after him, like an emotional reason to kill him. And I love the way that he goes out, um, just getting the truck, like, falls right on his face or whatever. Like I just, I thought I loved that. So um, I didn't mind those guys as much because they had small parts and I think that they were fit in pretty well. I despised Patrick. I despised Blofeld's death. I I think that it was just such a miss because you have created this whole narrative and honest to goodness, it's the villain thread throughout the whole series that holds the whole series back for me from the absolute top tier of greatness. Because you got amazing actors playing the villains throughout this whole series. You have Mads Mikkelsen, you have Javier Bardem, you have Christoph Waltz, you know, you have, now you have Rami Malek, and they're all underwritten, they're all underused. And for you to set this whole thing up as being much of it a massive ruse 
to which Blofeld, who we secretly learn is Bond's brother, you know, adopted brother, whatever. And all of these things, like for it to end with him accidentally dying because Bond touched him, it's so unceremonious. Like it, it bothered me. It really frustrated me because I was like, you can't have the big bad. And again, this to me is very much the same as my reaction to Felix Leiter and Bond's death, where it's not just about Blofeld in No Time to Die. It's not just about Blofeld in the Daniel Craig series. Blofeld is legendary and mythological and stretches amongst all of this entire franchise's history. You can't kill him like that. Like that just doesn't work for me at all. And it just, it just, oh, it will always be like a little bit of a sour puss note in this movie for me. Yeah. I mean, I think Blofeld is a fantastic character. And I actually really enjoyed the dialogue between him and Bond in the prison. I thought that there's this sense of, you know, brotherly tension as much as it could be. But they were, it's almost like this chess game that they were playing with each other. That was actually one of my favorite scenes is the dialogue between the two of them. Where I get frustrated with is there's a complexity to, this is, this is an issue that I have sometimes with Christopher Nolan is making things a little overly complex when it comes to like ideas or concepts of a movie or rules of a film. And so this idea of this, this biochemical weapon that if you have a person's DNA, it also affects the people that you're related to. And I started getting really confused, Aaron, and I couldn't rewind the tape because I'm in a movie theater and I'm like, wait a minute. So it never it's the loses. biological version of God's eye. <laughs> it, it really is. And I think if you're going to do that, you have to simplify it because when you start introducing, yeah, it doesn't just affect you, but it affects, you know, whatever, whoever's DNA you have on you, you have it on forever. And then you can't, you know, if you touch somebody who's related to them, wait, what? And then you get Matilda who starts making comments about having ant bites, mosquito bites. I'm like, wait, did she get touched? What's happening here? And so it, it got really confusing and I got really distracted by that. I was like, wait a minute. Okay. So what happens now? Does bond, wait, whose DNA does he have? Who can he touch and who can he not? Uh, and then I start seeing in the latter part of the film, he's going through the through the island and he's got gloves on. I'm like, wait, is he protecting himself or is that just part of his uniform? And to me, when you kind of com make that idea really complex and you combine it with plants and things like that, the the concept is really great. The execution is just a little too muddled for me that I just got distracted and just give me a little exposition. And I think there was some, but maybe I missed it. I, I just got kind of frustrated with that. And the other thing is that if you had kept Blofeld or um, Saffin, yeah, one of the two, I'll take one of the two, but I think having both and the kind of cheap way that you kill off Blofeld I think that really kind of cinched it for me. It's like, this isn't great because I've had history with Blofeld. Even if he's kind of imparted wisdom or something onto someone else, give me backstory on that. If Safin is part of that world, great. But I didn't even feel like there was a connection. Maybe there wasn't. I can't remember. It's all, you kind of bundle it up into, oh, it's all Spectre. And like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't give me a villain and say, yep, he's just another arm of Spectre. no. You can't do that. You can't do that to a franchise where you've given me investment in your main character 
and supporting characters and new characters. And now you just say, you know what? We just, we ran out of time. You know, we're going to hit overtime here. And you know what the union says about that. So let's just quickly write up some villains and just say, oh yeah, they're another villain of Spectre. No, 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 no. In other Bond movies, that would be fine. That would be totally fine with me. I think here, that's where the kind of the message got reversed. And and you're right, for me as well, I think that's what didn't make this a, a fantastic movie. It was really great, but it was diminished by what you exact you said it exactly. These great actors who play mediocre villains. You have to give them more. You have to give them great dialogue. You have to give them motivation. If you did that, I imagine this would turn into a three and a half hour movie and that probably would go beyond my links. But I digress. I think if if there was something to change about this movie, it would definitely be the villains. And and really in the whole series of the of the bond of the Daniel Craig era. Well, where do we go from here, Aaron? We've got the death of James Bond. We do have 007 still alive and well. I'm assuming Nomi has taken the the moniker back, but Give me a prediction, maybe a wish list for you. What do you think happens to this series? Well, Denis Villeneuve said in an interview that he deeply would love to make a 007 movie. And I would deeply love to watch a Denis Villeneuve 007 movie. I mean, we talked about Darren Hansen being a five-star movie before we even saw it. I can tell you I'm seeing Dune in less than 48 hours from now. And Dune is probably a five-star movie before I've even seen it as well. Denis Villeneuve is just that guy with us um, and with so many people these days. I say that, of course, I said that about Christopher Nolan and then kind of came up a little short on the last one. So maybe, maybe not, but my point is I would love to see somebody like Denis Villeneuve take on the franchise and, and give it, an, I mean, this was existential bond, but Villeneuve I think could take it even more in that direction. Um, I, here's what I predict. So Barbara Broccoli put out into the, media that they would start the new search for a new James Bond in 2022. So that tells me that there is an intention of keeping the character and bringing it back and reviving it or whatever, and that we most likely are going to be traditional and we are going to find us another James Bond actor and start up another series of movies of some sort. Personally, I wish we would not. I would this is always going to be the battle between what is coolest or what is best from a narrative standpoint and what is best from a money-making standpoint. And Hollywood has a property like James Bond. You need to sell James Bond. That's what makes you money. And that is why they're going to bring him back. Right? Like I just never see it. It, it isn't going to change. It would shock me to all utter pieces if it changed, but what I would love Patrick and I've been saying this a lot lately, I would like this to be a series. Give me HBO, Amazon Prime, spinning Lord of the Rings type money on a Bond alias type of series. With all A-list actors, it will never happen. So if you can't do that, then I want a franchise universe to be explored before we reintroduce the character of Bond. And I think you have set up so well this current universe to continue without Bond. You could keep this going for three, four, five more movies and it would 
it could be amazing. So we didn't really talk about what's in a name. There's a great couple pieces of dialogue in the film between Nomi and James where they're, you know, it's, you know, 007. Oh, it's just a number. It's not just a number. I would be shocked if it wasn't completely retired, a la a baseball or basketball type jersey situation. And there was never another 007. I don't think there needs to be another 007. I think it should die with James Bond, Daniel Craig, for a while. And I think Nomi, 00 whatever she is, working with the new, quote, CIA equivalent in Paloma, not necessarily having a buddy cop type movie, but those two being sort of your new James and Felix characters and branching out, bring in new people. You could still utilize Q. You could expand Moneypenny's performance and role. You still got Ralph Fiennes playing a really interesting M. Like you have a world, go explore it and play with it. There are a million amazing actors out there that can play these roles, like of all sorts of ethnic backgrounds and all sorts of diversity you could bring into it, but you could still keep it MI6. Like, give me the MI6 series instead of the James Bond series of movies or TV show. That's what I personally would like to see. My worst fear is that as much as I will love the movies, Patrick, and I will probably be on Twitter being like, yeah, I'm so excited if they say, Henry Cavill is the next Bond, or, you know, um, Rob Stark, whoever played Rob Stark, I can't remember his name right now, but like, there's a couple actors out there that would be really great for that character. Just more white guys that are British and probably would kill the role. I think there's such an opportunity to make it new and special and unique and keep this trend going that they have created. Um, and, I, and I really, really, really praying that they do it. I really 100% agree with all that. I think what we've gotten, granted, in a sort of vacuum is we've gotten a birth, life, and death of James Bond 007. I would not mind seeing the 007 moniker live on because I think there's something valuable about that number. And yes, James Bond is synonymous with it. At the same time, there's something really interesting about Nomi owning that and bringing a different representation of 007 in terms of how she does her business. Love the idea of this buddy team up between Nomi and Paloma as the James and Felix kind of female side, but also a natural progression of that story underneath the mi6 verse like that's what i would call it i would say all right here we are we've created this universe and i say we've created the universe the craig verse is what it is it's independent of your sean connery's your roger moore's your timothy dalton's um your pierce brosnan's it's its own thing and i think that you can actually have both honestly i think it would be an interesting marketing challenge, but you get MGM to continue this story, continue this narrative inside the Craigverse, where in that world, James Bond is dead, Felix Leiter is dead, Money Penny has taken up the mantle of something, 
M is continuing that forward. Um, and then you've got Nomi and Paloma kind of starting this charge of a new set of movies, maybe two, maybe three. I don't know. Maybe even just one. Cool. Independent of that, you go back to the well and you say, who's our next bond going to be? Where I get challenged with Aaron is that in my logical part of my brain, I'm like, okay, you can't do what you've done with the Daniel Craig character. You can't humanize him. You have to just go back to the hyper sophisticated English white guy who goes on crazy adventures and meets hot women and doesn't get them pregnant and all these different things with great spy tech, you know, and you can bring back the Felix lighters and the cues and you can do all that. And I'm okay with that. I actually think I'd be fine because now you have these two individual entities that could maybe coexist. There might be a lot of confusion because it's like, well, who's, who's 007? Well, you have the James Bond verse and then you have the Craig verse, that kind of thing. Just like you had they weren't running side by side, but you had the the uh, what the Kelvin verse of Star Trek that uh, Abrams introduced with his three movies or those three movies, independent of the Star Trek universe that we've you know, all known and loved with the original series, the movies, and you know next generation. And so I think you could you could do both. I don't know that you'd want to do both simultaneously or even do both. Period. You'd probably want to pick one, but I think both could work. I just think you'd have to ignore one for the sake of the other if you're going to to lean heavy into something. I'd be fine with having, you know, a Henry Cavill in the role or whoever, because I think that carries on the tradition of who's the next Bond going to be. Just like, because that's part of the fun, right? It's part of the fun of the 007 movies is you're like, oh, okay, we've gotten this one. We've gotten that one. Well, who's it going to be? And when Daniel Craig came in, it was like, oh, it's the blonde Bond, right? Cool. What's going to happen there? And I, I think that there might always be an audience for who's the next actor that's going to kind of don that cape or don that suit or whatever and, and say the lines and be suave and whatever. So I think there's success either way. I would prefer to see a continuation in the Craigverse, but that's just because I really enjoy the cohesion of all those movies and what they're actually like pointing to as opposed to just you know, another one-off, so. Well, and then you just lose everybody. I mean, you can't just bring a new Bond in. He's dead. You can't introduce him into this world unless you pull the stupid, like, you didn't really die thing, and which you can't do because you undo everything about the last five-movie arc if you try that right. crap. So you're essentially going to have to scrap the universe you just created and start over, which I'm going to, I mean, again, I'll be there. I'll watch it day one. I'll be interested in it, and it could be amazing, and it could be a new full story arc that's, really cool could be even better you never know right but i do i think we agree like it would be neat to be able to explore this a little further first even if it's just a couple spin-offs before you bring a new bond and start over you know what a la what fast and furious wanted to do with hobbs and shaw and the yeah. female stuff like i don't know if all that stuff is still quite gonna happen in the way i mean i think they're still working on them but like do that before you reboot exactly you let it breathe or something i don't know yeah, yeah I just where I land. have some have some fun for a couple of movies and then just end it. That's cool. You can have your cake and eat it too if you want. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Feelin' Film. If you've been listening, hopefully you have enjoyed the first four entries of the Daniel Craig Bond verse. If you haven't, check them out. They're all streaming. I would highly encourage you to uh, revisit them 
even after seeing No Time to Die, I think I'm going to go back and watch Casino Royale because I just, you know, I just love that movie. And so, and of course, I think for me, it's always going to be if the movie involves gambling of some kind, I'm going to enjoy that. So it's Bond and it's gambling and it's beautiful people. So I'm all about that. But hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, join us in our Facebook group for more of that. Hook, you know, hook up on uh, Discord. We're there too, doing movie reviews through uh, Letterboxd. We've got some links going on there. But uh, we're glad that you guys are continuing to listen. Uh, hopefully you'll continue to do so as the weeks go on. We're moving into big movie season. So we'll be bringing a lot to you over the next couple of months. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.